in three, two, one. Hi, I'm Mary Holm, host of Prairie Yard and Garden. And I'm Tom, and this is the Prairie Farm Podcast. When I was like eight years old, I think I was hanging out with my grandma and my aunt, and they were watching Antique Roadshow. Great show. It It is. When you're eight, it is not. All you want to do is, if you're on PBS, <laughs> you want to watch Arthur the Aardvark. You do not want to watch why some vase is worth $1,200 or why the owner thought it was worth $1,200, but it's actually only worth $6. Uh, but now, I am fascinated by that stuff. And and growing up, I lived, I'd get off the school bus and I would run straight to uh, the TV and watch the, like, two hours, maybe hour and a half, the two or three shows that were left of PBS before the end of the, the cartoon <laughs> part of the day. And uh, and I loved it. And as I got older, I started to realize the value of some of the, uh, what I would have considered the boring adult shows mm-hmm. um, and, and how wonderful they are. Some of the documentaries, the different series, Antique Roadshow. Nova. Nova, my goodness. Yep. And... Uh, w- the ones that I recently came across were by our guests um, who are with us today is uh, is Mary and Tom Holm. They have a PBS show and it had been running for quite a while. I'm not sure. I'll, I'll have them answer if it's still running here or not. But uh, um, they have a uh, they have a television show about gardening and prairie. And when I saw that, I think I was just rummaging through the internet one day looking for something else. I came across them, and I thought we have to get them for a podcast. So after many months of uh, back and forth, and uh, them being so gracious and giving their time, and their producer, who is an awesome guy, shout out to Mike, uh, we have the privilege to be hanging out with them. Mary and Tom, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. Well, thanks a lot for inviting us. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah, we, we absolutely love it. Um, so with, with your TV show, first give us a rundown of it. What's the point of it? What's it about? What are you, uh, uh, what are you guys trying to communicate? And is it still going on right now? Absolutely. Uh, we are in our 36th year of... Uh, broadcasting Prairie Yard and Garden, and it probably started, I would guess, well, 36 years ago, and uh, through Pioneer PBS, and each year in the summer before it airs, we record 13 shows, and then they start, I think it was January 19th this year that the first show aired, and then uh, they go through the end of April, and then they start re-airing again uh, for another 13 weeks, and and then um, again towards the end of the year. So we broadcast uh, throughout the year with the 13 segments that we record, and the nice thing about it is, you know, this technology is a wonderful thing because now people can watch the show on Pioneer PBS which is a uh, TV station uh, based out of Granite Falls, Minnesota. But now, with modern technology, you can watch it on YouTube and, uh, and streaming services, too. So we're in the big time now. You know, I one, I've never met a TV star before, I don't think, or, or <laughs> had a real conversation with one. I, I, I uh, met Sandra Bullock once haven't. in passing, but, <laughs> you know, you, I... I think I was listening to a a couple episodes uh, before this and, and by a couple, I meant, I meant to watch maybe two, maybe three episodes to do a little homework on you guys. Uh, And I watched or listened to around 10 of them, (laughs) which is too, too many in the short period of time that I, (laughs) that I listed, but they were so, they were so captivating. Um, And before we get into 
everything that you guys do on them. Whose idea was this? The show was originally started by a man named Roger Bowman, and he worked at the University of Minnesota Morris, and he was contacted by Pioneer uh, PBS, and they collaborated to start the show. And the first year, I think they had maybe a little bit of funding, and then the second year, they had no funding at all. Ooh. <laughs> and they still kept going with Good it. And then after that, it just um, grew and grew and grew. And um, and then now uh, Pioneer PBS is the sole producer of the show. But um, it's just it's just grown and it's it's just done so well. And uh, we have such wonderful guests that are on the show. And I've told people that I have the best job in the world because I get to meet and visit with some of the nicest people in horticulture. Wow. Mm. That's well said. That's that's a true testament to the vision early on with the programming to, you know, weather those financial storms when they didn't have the funding, but understanding that what they had was valuable enough to keep pursuing it so that it would eventually take off. So that's, that's uh, really neat to see that I guess you'd say uh, kind of organic growth to the show um, in its earliest days and then, uh, you know, the hard work that went into that to keeping it around. I've been with the show, um, this will be nine or ten years, I guess, and the people that have come before have done a marvelous job. And Mike, I think, has been with the show, our producer and director, and editor has been with the show for 27 years and so he he's kind of the glue that keeps everything going and if you watch the show the the wonderful b-roll and the editing and the direction and everything that's all on mike so he's the one that makes us look good (laughs) (laughs) that is super cool it's important to have people like mike in your corner that's for sure you betcha oh man i so I, my brother got a cinematography degree in college and for his senior project put together this, this quite an extensive uh, movie. Um, and he had me star in it and not star. The, the, let's, let's leave that word out of it. He had me in it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we couldn't do this podcast next week because Nick will be busy putting his hands in wet concrete. And, uh... Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no Hollywood star. Thank goodness. <laughs> But uh, so he, he had had me there. And I remember one day he was joking. He's like, you know, I, I could ruin your life with just the footage that I've gotten right now. I could splice it in a way where no one would ever talk to you again. I was like, what? you know, because it's so much of it is editing and, and directing and and um, and, you know, uh, the DP, the director of photography. And and so it, it says a lot about Mike that the show, and if you guys haven't watched it, go check it out. Where can they find it? I think I saw on Pioneer, um, is it pbspioneer.org? Is that? Yes. Yep. And, and if you type in Prairie Yard and Garden or go to pioneerpbs.org, you'll find it. That's, uh, it's pretty easy to find. Okay. Even even Miss Non Technology Me can find it oh. online. So <laughs> <laughs> Well, who needs to be good at technology when you do such a good job at hosting a television show? What <laughs> when did you get involved in that? Well, the story behind that's kind of interesting, I thought. Um I knew Mike through some other things that he helped me with um for a newsletter, and so then I was over visiting with him one day. And I knew that the host that they had at that time, his name was Larry Ziliox, wonderful person and extension educator, so really and, you know, really knowledgeable. But I knew he wanted to retire. And so as I was getting up to leave um, Mike's office, I said, oh, by the way, did you find a new host for Prairie Yard and Garden? And he said, yep, we did. And I said, great, that would be a fun job. And so I went about my business and doing my stuff and then oh i guess maybe about a a month later mike called me and he said hey mary remember when you said that would be a fun job (laughs) what do you mean and the the lady who had taken over was having some very serious 
his health issues and mm, could not continue. So then we really scrambled, and I think we did 11 shows in a month and a half that we wow. recorded. Wow. And um, on, the last, on the last day, we were driving home, and I thought, well, okay, how'd this go? And so Mike said, well, do you want to keep on doing this? And, you know, he's been stuck with me ever since. Ah, <laughs> did, a, did 11 shows, and, and, and apparently it went well. You know, I didn't watch any of those, those first episodes, I don't think, but uh, I, I, I'll have to go back. It's like, um, like Kent has a pretty successful podcast, First Gen Hunter, and I haven't yet, but I plan on going back to those first few episodes uh, oh, <laughs> and just man. seeing how they go, you know, because they're, they're always, you know, the learning curve and, and oh, man. Well, that is really cool. So what, Mary, for you and Tom, what makes you guys, not necessarily experts, but what gives you this experience in gardening and prairie that you, that gave you even the interest to want to host a show like that? Well, first off, I think I need to clarify something here, that Mary is the host, Mike is the producer, and if you ever see me on Prairie Yard and Garden, I'm usually the plan B or C when somebody else <laughs> could not make it. <laughs> so, but these are the two that really make the show go. Oh, that's um, cool. As far as our experiences in horticulture... I guess we've made our living out of horticulture, through horticulture for 40 some odd years. Um, ornamental horticulture, I taught for a little while, uh, grew plants for the University of Minnesota, trial plants for the University of Minnesota. And Mary is involved also through the greenhouse, um, native plant growing facility. So we've been, it's, it's been our livelihood for many, many years. Oh, wow. So you are experienced by uh, by trade, you're not just passionate. You, you you've been doing this for a while. What um, when when you work with plants? What do you feel like? Uh, um, I actually had this question on our outline because I I don't know. I just felt like it'd be interesting. Of the people that we've looked into talking to, you guys seem like the perfect people to ask. I've only asked it one other time, but what are some of the biggest life lessons you've received while working with plants now that you've been doing it your whole life and and you've been you've made a career not only working with them but talking to people about working with them <laughs> well i think that plants number one are good for the soul working with the plants mm. um, is good for the soul i really feel that plants are like people they're different and they teach you joy and patience. You know, we had a greenhouse for 20 plus years and Tom was the person who started, did all the seeding at the greenhouse for the most part. And in bedding plants, when you seed a tray of marigolds and 10, oh, 10 days to two weeks later, those little seeds are just popping up and they're just as even and nice as can be. And so, you know, he's used to that. And then after we moved here and he was working at the University of Minnesota Research Station and I got a job at uh, uh, Morning Sky Greenery, which is a native plant nursery, um, that you can teach an old dog new tricks because both Tom and I were used to having this nice uniform germination. Well, you know, native plants, that's their survival mechanism where you plant them and maybe three weeks later, one plant pokes its head up. And maybe three more weeks later, two more plants poke their heads up. But you know, that's how they survived over the years. And so it drives Tom nuts if he has to come in and water for us at Morning Sky if we're <coughs> gone to a trade show or something because... They're so different, and, yeah. and yet it's a good thing. So you guys probably understand that working oh, with yeah. native plants. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We always tell people that you got to kind of almost wait three years to really be seeing uh, what looks like a healthy prairie. They just put. I like how you said that though, a survival mechanism because. Uh, I think a lot of times we almost feel like we have to apologize for that or, you know, like, all right, we do have this major drawback, you know, but in reality, that's just how they are. 
And that's mm-hmm. what makes it so that, like you said, that they can survive for the long run. They're setting in those deep roots and putting all that energy into that subterranean growth that anchors them there forever and uh, helps them weather drought and extreme cold and everything else that native prairie is so, uh, you know, re- resilient with. And uh, so it, we probably shouldn't pitch it with that tone of being a drawback. We should pitch it with that tone of, hey, that's their survival mechanism. I like how you said that, Mary. Well, it's exactly right. You know, um, over the hundreds of years, if somebody germinated and the conditions weren't right, or if a buffalo came along and ate it off, um, that would have been the end of the species, yep. except that yep, two weeks later, there's more coming. And mm. if conditions are right, then they'll grow. And um, so that's exactly right. You know, they, they learned how they had to grow in order to be able to survive. So we can learn a lot from plants. Mm-hmm. We sure can. Um, I, uh, for me, it's a non-native perspective, as Mary said. I, if I grew these things, I would go, I, I'd have a nervous breakdown to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things I've learned from plants is that they can make you humble. The men in my family used to go up north fishing, up into Canada, and you've got the rocky crags up there, and the, you know, the, the the almost looks like stone outcrops and stone mountains. And we were out on the lake one day fishing, and I looked up on the top of this crag, and here a tree is growing out of a little crack in the top of the side of the the, the stone. And I looked, and gosh, that looked familiar. So I got the binoculars out. And I looked again, and here this thing, I swear it was called a Decorah Mountain Ash. It's one of the trees that we sold in our greenhouse. Hmm. And here we are, when we planted in somebody's yard, planted in somebody's yard, that it, we dig the nice hole, the perfect hole, amend the soil as needed, you know, tamp it down, stake it up if needed, water it religiously, and most of the time it grows. But here's this goofy thing growing up out of the side of the hill just saying, see if you can top this, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 It is a humiliating process at times for, (laughs) and you know that, so one of my jobs here at Hoxie is to condition the seed, to clean it, you know, and, uh, and a lot of times I feel like, man, I got to be, get this so perfect. And, you know, you, some of the seeds (laughs) need to be scarified out of their holes and, and, uh, you know, you want that seed to just be uh, so uniform and perfect. And then I remind myself, wait a minute. These things yeah, have been self-seeding for millennia. <laughs> they don't need me to help them along all that much. They're, they're able to, you know, survive a bird pecking at them and dropping them off in another mm-hmm. area or riding mm-hmm. around in a buffalo hide for, uh, you know, several <laughs> weeks and, whatever else that those seeds they they can uh, do on their own and so yeah that that's true it's it's like that for trees and grasses and flowers and sedges and all sorts of things Hmm. so do you ever find that something you do one year absolutely doesn't work the next year yes we do yes Uh we do uh i mean even for uh, something that works perfectly for one field won't work at all for the same species uh a third mm-hmm. of a mile away. I think that that kind of teaches us that we just need to adapt and change to the different conditions here because uh, it's not us that's really in control of how this all works. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, some something I, I wanted to jump back to uh, that Mary said is, is that uh, plants are, are good for the soul. There's something that it's mostly just been an observation of mine, but there's a few things that seem to be across the board in human nature you know maybe a few outliers here or there but there's a few things one being music most all humans mm-hmm. love music mm-hmm. another one being most uh humans while it's very tiring and, and cumbersome they love being parents they love their children well another one if people get into it if they can get out of concrete jungles if if they can touch the green that's around them i see that people love gardening because people yeah. who plant three plants in their yard, the next year they've got 10. And the year after that, they've got most of their quarter <laughs> acre ripped up, you know, with tomatoes or peppers or, you know, or maybe even going in with some natives or, um, 
so people love plants it's it's like uh it's like healing it's almost like they feel Mm -hmm. like that's how they're supposed to that's what they're supposed to be doing you know well it's a proven fact that if in hospital stays if you have people in hospitals those people that are recuperating in a room with a view of nature or you know green space trees and shrubs will have a much much shorter stay in the recuperation Mm. room than those that are just staring at a concrete wall. Wow. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, that's, you know, I, I once had uh, some pretty challenging uh, jobs in the past, and uh, I had this, so I used to be a science teacher, and there were times when I had some really challenging years teaching and uh, didn't, you know, have, and some sometimes I didn't even have windows in my classroom, and uh, I did have, though, this one uh, plant that I had purchased to use for a science lab. It was, uh, it was the only thing I could find at that time of year, which was a Christmas cactus. So I bought it in December. And uh, <laughs> I think I bought it while it was in full bloom even. And uh, it was just the time of year I needed a plant for a lab. And I was able to run to the grocery store real quick before school or something and grab it. And... Uh, I remember how that plant kind of became a comfort to me, you know, when mm-hmm. uh, it was, uh, you know, times when, when, you know, the job was just beating me up with, with all the requirements and hours spent doing that and or not having windows in the classroom. It was nice to have that attachment of another living organism. Man, there's a Disney <laughs> short somewhere in there, a Disney short <laughs> film with that winter Christmas cactus and, and Kent crying in his classroom and just... <laughs> Hugging the cactus despite its prickles. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I definitely see it. And as somebody who, I, I spend a large percentage of my life outside now, uh, not just work, but, but for you know things I like to do. Almost all of them are outdoors, and uh, there's definitely a refreshing uh, side of that. Getting in, you know, contact and away from the busyness of our human life and going to uh, a more natural state where there's still plenty of uh, trees and wild animals and, you know, lakes and ponds, rivers, all those things, all those natural features. Hmm. Well, I grew up in Strasburg, North Dakota, or on a farm by Strasburg, North Dakota, which is in South Central North Dakota. And our farm had about 450 acres And that was roughly divided between prairie and cropland. Mm. And even now, when Tom and I go out there, we often, we don't have a good road, never did have a good road going into the farm. But um, when we go out there, we'll take a vehicle that allows us to go out to the farm. And when we get out there, we step outside of the vehicle and turn it off. And there is no hint of humans hmm. for miles and miles and miles. And to hear the wind blowing through the prairie is just amazing. Yeah. And um, it's, it's just some, something that you can't explain to people unless they've experienced it. If, if you see the movie Dances with Wolves, that's what this is like out there. You just go out and there's absolutely no sign of civilization, no power lines, no horns. Once in a while you hear an airplane going over, but that's about it. You hear the wind and the insects buzzing around. Hmm. It's just so totally relaxing. As Mary said earlier, very, very good for the soul. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, an, that's a beautiful picture you paint. That's a great movie too. And uh, def, definitely a, a nice little representation of what a lot of our midwest and northern you know and western plains states would have uh, looked like uh several hundred years ago yeah which it, i don't know it's great so prairie kent and i talk about this a lot on the podcast prairie and and the landscape has changed a ton even over the past hundred years uh, but for sure you know even more 300 years ago um, it's changed, but something I don't think about a lot is is gardening. But sometimes my dad will will mention things like, "Yeah, gardening is not the same like it was when I was a kid." So he's he's uh, 
he's in his upper 60s and and he remembers you know milking the cow before going to getting on the school bus mm-hmm. um and so you know for him for them gardening was like a big percentage of their their food every year uh whereas now it's more har- hobby it's like oh look at i got eight peppers this is so exciting i'll we'll use them in a special salad we're making just because we had peppers in our garden you know um <laughs> But I, I'm curious because you've had, you know, you've been watching the gardening scene, uh, you know, a lot longer than I haven't. And I was wondering, like, what are some changes you've seen in the culture of gardening and how people are are doing it, what people are focusing on as you've been as you've put your career in this? Well, when we took over the greenhouse back in the mid 80s, that was still the era of the big garden where we were up in Nietzsche, North Dakota. You still have the families that grew the big garden, shared the food, canned it, you know, and used it to live off of. Well, as times have gone on, people don't seem to have the time to devote to the big garden, number one. Mm-hmm. Both husband and spouse are working. Kids are very, very active in intra- and extracurriculars activities. So the time isn't there. Number two, the lots have gotten smaller. We don't have room in our yards. for Most people don't have room in yeah. our yards for the big gardens anymore. So things have changed there. There's been a, a, during COVID, obviously people rediscovered the gardens and rediscovered the benefit of them. But again, this time element now that we're out of COVID is entering into the factors and and, and influencing how we garden. Um, You know, the plant companies are coming along and coordinating this and helping this situation a bit. There's patio plants, you know, plants that are bred to grow on a patio and produce fruit right on the patio for some people that live in apartments. And even today I was reading about a company, Ball Seed Company, that has come up with a line of vegetables that grow on your windowsill. Mm-hmm. They have, they've developed a cucumber that you can put on in a small pot, about four and a half, six inch pot, that you can put on the windowsill. It grows up a trellis about eight, 10 inches tall. You cut it back once and then cut the vining part of the cucumber back once, and then it will grow approximately a four to five inch cucumber that you can have for your meal right off of your windowsill. So things are evolving, things are changing there to adapt to the changing needs of our society. Hmm. You know what would be really interesting is uh, buildings that had like vertical gardens on them. Mm-hmm. You know, like on the walls or mm-hmm. like viney, like growing yeah. viney things. I, I don't know. You know, I don't know how that worked, but. There's a fellow in Ukraine I was just reading about also today, as a matter of fact, that he had vertical gardens in Ukraine uh, selling the vegetables. Well, it got bombed out. Hmm. So what he did is in a, uh, a bomb shelter, he is starting up a vertical growing operation in a bomb shelter so that his plants, his operation won't get hit a second time. So people are adapting and that is, that is, it's working now. Hmm. How, how do they get sun? How does that work? This guy um, is an engineer of types. He worked with lighting before the, his area got bombed out. So there are, um, it's not uncommon in the United States to have vertical gardens and have lighting all your garden and your vegetable gardens all totally enclosed and have the HID or the fluorescent light, not fluorescent LED lights providing all the light that those plants need. Hmm. Wow. And I think for, for us, um, I think that the more things change, a lot of times the more they stay the same and come back again. Cause Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm like your dad, you know, we grew everything on the farm. We milked the cows, we had the chickens, we had hogs, um, we had beef cattle, we had dairy cattle. So we raised a lot of our food and we had gardens. Um, we had our regular vegetable garden. We had our potato patch. We had our sweet corn patch. We had a pumpkin patch. And so, you know, we raised our food. Well, you know, that was, couple of generations ago but now isn't it really fun to see that people are coming back to um, locally grown uh, visiting farmers markets knowing where their food comes from buying directly from the farmers and and so um, 
heck, you know, I grew up with locally grown foods and now it's coming back again. And I also think that there's more of an emphasis and a realization on the the care of the earth and um uh you know maybe we're we're like tom said growing food in smaller spaces maybe high need lawns are being replaced with um lower needing inputs um mm. you know grasses that uh, prairie grasses or yeah. you know so you know there's a there's a change in em emphasis and I think that that is really something that I'm seeing a lot more. Yeah, yeah. We, we've we noticed that too, just in uh, the orders that we've been getting. We've been getting a lot of yard mixes. People are, are starting to see the value for, for that, but also from the, you know, the more sustainable food chain model that you were describing there. I think people are realizing what we've lost in uh, so much of, of our uh, modern day society, you know, where, where, uh, and, and you, you know, it's interesting you mentioned the time that we all experienced during the, you know, COVID shutdowns and uh, all the shortages that went on. People, I think, realized how vulnerable uh, such a centralized, uh, you know, corporately run food chain is to, uh, you know, a major disruption. Whereas uh, had everyone's food remained locally sourced, like you were talking about it being in the past, uh, those types of disruptions are much easier to deal with. And so I think people are are um, far more interested in rec uh, recovering those skills and raising that food themselves and uh, figuring out how to maximize um, uh production on small amounts of ground as well so that they can be more independent with uh, uh, the the food that they take in as a family. And I think the quality of the food is so tremendous. Absolutely. A couple of weeks ago, we were over in Alexandria, Minnesota, and there's a young man who's growing some hydroponic lettuce. And so he had some heads for sale and I brought a head of lettuce along home. You know, when I buy a head of lettuce at the grocery store, and thank God I can get it there, um, that lettuce has probably been grown in California and then shipped to Chicago and then shipped to Minneapolis and then shipped to the local grocery store. Yeah. And um, when I bought that lettuce over at the greenhouse in Alexandria, that head of lettuce lasted i'll bet you two weeks in our refrigerator because huh. it was so That's good and so fresh and yeah. it was awesome so yep there's a lot to be said for this locally grown food sources yeah. yeah that's a great point i've never heard anybody really make that specific of a point about locally sourced food but it makes sense for our you know our soft commodities that uh when you you say I'm going to go to the grocery store and buy a fresh head of lettuce, well, it's been on a truck for a week already. Yeah, so mm -hmm. how fresh is it? You know, or that's a great point. Think about potatoes. Sometimes you get a potato from a from a bigger store, and if they sit in your cabinet, they'll just rot, which mm -hmm. is weird. Potatoes don't do like so. When when we grow potatoes out of our garden and we put them in our basement, if if we didn't get to them in time, they would sprout. But mm -hmm. if you just get them from a store and put them in your basement, they just rot. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so, it feel it's so unnatural. It's like something's off there, and I don't, I don't know what it is, but it's yeah. The and the quality, man, the quality of a freshly grown zucchini. Are you predicting the next potato famine, Nick? No, my goodness, <laughs> no, kidding. sir. Not if I can do anything about it. Mm. I'm growing potatoes. <laughs> well, we're still eating our potatoes from our garden. From last fall so you know even nice. if they do sprout a little bit you just scrape off the sprouts and you use them anyway and they're still great so that's good well yeah speaking of your garden um would you guys mind giving us kind of like a uh audio tour of just some of the main things you guys have going on in your garden well <laughs> you gotta remember that i like flowers hey we do too we're in the <laughs> yeah, business yeah <laughs> That's what we do. And so, 
We have a retaining wall in the backyard that the neighbors enjoy watching just to see what we're growing in there. And there's always um, lots and lots of flowers. And then we have pots with flowers in them. And those always have to have parsley and because the swallowtail butterflies love parsley. And we yeah. like to see them come and visit us. And then we probably have to have torch tithonia growing in our flower bed hmm. because that is um, the monarchs absolutely love that. And so uh, we, we What's are very What's the common conscious. name of that? Tithonia, uh, Mexican sunflower. Ah, yeah. Okay. okay. And it's a wonderful plant, easy to grow, loves the sun. And the monarchs love it. It's not a native plant, but it's a great plant for the monarch butterflies. And so we have to have at least two of those in the flower bed. Mm. And now you guys will be disappointed in me, but um, last year we had to build a new septic system in our backyard. Uh-oh. So all of the landscaping for the past 15 years went down the... Oh, you know what shoot literally down yeah. the drain <laughs> <laughs> and so now um we got this beautiful now mound in the backyard and so this coming year we're going to be re-landscaping and restarting in the backyard but we do have lots of trees tom's such a tree man and so we have Good. lots of trees in the backyard and our neighbors had mercy on us, and so they shared their garden space with us so that we could still grow oh. a lot of our fresh <laughs> stuff nice last year. So That's yeah. some real community gardening. <laughs> <laughs> They're the best friends. So, yeah, they were. Oh. it was great. So we still had a garden, and um, we got to figure out where we're going to garden this year. And um, so we'll see because we do have quite a bit of shade. And so um, we're, we're gonna work on this and we'll see what it looks like. But if you come to our place, there's lots of color just because of all of the flowers that we grow. And um, I think when we had to move all of the plants for the septic mound, we spent two days digging, I think it was 56 plants that we ended up moving out of the way oh. for it. So oh. you're trying to save them all? And I think we did. I think we saved every single one of them. That's um, great. They got moved to a nurse area, and so now we'll be able to dig those up and start relandscaping the yard. So, well, as you can tell, it was a big project for us. So, oh yeah, it's kind of it's kind of nice getting a new blank slate though to to tweak and tune uh, as you uh, you know get that yard. Uh, uh, regraded and everything else from the excavation and get to put down what you want you know it's kind of like when you're a kid and you build a tree house and you get done nailing up that last board it's kind of like well now what the fun part was building the tree house yeah. so you, you you get to rebuild your tree house in a way you get a you get to replant all these uh different species and and uh you know make it just how you want it so i'm i'm excited to hear about the progress that you guys have with uh recuperating that in your yard yeah you're I something, mean, something i think you guys need to keep in mind is that mary and i have been married 46 years but wow, we still have wonderful. polar opposite tastes <laughs> <laughs> and that it worked out fine except when you're landscaping a yard uh, <laughs> yeah. yep tom's the tree man and i'm the flower person and the garden person and you know those don't always mesh and even when we had our greenhouse, I think we agreed on one plant to put in our yard up that. Oh, <laughs> no. Because, you know, when you both like plants and you have kind of ideas of what you want, it's sometimes kind of difficult. So yep. that worked oh. out well because I was always out in the summertime taking care and planting other people's yards. I was never home to take care of ours. So Mary had pretty much free reign on our yard up in Nietzsche. 
<laughs> oh man, that's I. I mean, uh, we could definitely do a marriage podcast episode. We're, we're here for it. <laughs> my wife, my wife, and I run into the same problems. Uh, we we uh, we. Kent we, doesn't like to take showers. She really wants him to take showers. <laughs> no. <laughs> Interesting that Nick would accuse somebody of that. <laughs> no, it's it's uh, we run into the same issues with our landscaping. We both are pretty passionate about what we want there, and and uh, the quantity and the arrangement and everything else, all the way down to what species. And uh, you know, of course, when I work for a company that has native seeds in its name, whenever she wants, whenever she wants to introduce a non-native species. <laughs> Um, I'm pretty uh, pretty hard to convince on that. <laughs> There's oh, a place yeah. for both. There honestly is. Mm. Yep, yep. Mm. That's true. I had With a wretch native- in my heart when that was said, but I believe you. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> but there is such a, a wonderful place for the natives. And um, um, so right now we're really considering that for the septic mound or around the septic mound so because we definitely have to do something for the pollinators and those natives are just what the doctor ordered mm. yep. yeah right. we yeah we we love it that's what we love to hear actually we we find quite a few of the people that i've talked to that are putting in native it's because they have their septic changed um so mm-hmm. they're like well it got all this bare dirt we might as well put pollinator there you know because mm-hmm. if they already have grass then it's a bigger jump but if they're they're down to bare dirt well might as well but uh man that is really cool well you let us know how it turns out we we we're excited to hear who wins the greenhouse battle there uh yeah <laughs> oh yeah very excited we, something that i loved when we were emailing back and forth so for everyone listening we try i try to connect with the people um before but not too much so that when i learn about them i can do it organically on the podcast so we i asked um i asked them what is something you guys are passionate about and of course they said horticulture and and gardening but something else they said and and if i'm remembering correctly this is a quote from you tom it was to uh leave the world or the area around us better because we have been here and not just not just uh to leave it better but because we have been here and i think that people if you're writing down anything we've ever said on this podcast it it this might be it to leave the world or area around us better because we have been here what what does that mean to you guys well i guess it's something we i kind of grew up with is what it amounts to and it's nothing that my folks preach to me or or it's nothing we wear on our shoulders, a badge of honor. It's just something we do. And if you live in a community or are involved in an organization or a profession, it's my feeling that you have an obligation to that community or that organization mm-hmm. to leave it better for your being there. And um, if I can impart just a quick story here. Yes. I used to teach vocational agriculture. And part of what I taught was horticulture. Hmm. Well, a few years ago, well, quite a few years ago now, about 20 years after I quit teaching, we were at our 4-H group, which we were leaders of, won, the kids won a state award called the Student Tree Tree Planters of the Year Award. Well, one of the, to present that award, the entire 4-H club was invited to North Dakota State University football game got in free, got, you know, and at halftime, the whole 4-H club was paraded down on the field or got down on the field, and the, you know, running around on the field down there and lining up, and the kids were just eating this up. You know, we're on the north of the Bison football field. This is a big deal. Hmm. Well, we were introduced down there, and the kids got the award, and our names were read. On the way back up to our seating area, we got up on the main floor, main level there, and a very good-looking young lady came up to me and said, Hi, Tom. Well, Mary was right by my side, and I looked at her, and here's this young, good-looking lady looking at me. 
And she introduced herself and she used her married name at first. And I did not recognize her at all, to be real honest with you. And so she, then she introduced herself by her maiden name. And this was a student I had had probably 20 years ago in Horticulture 1 and Horticulture 2, I believe. And she might have been, she was junior or senior in high school. Well, she graduated and we had never had touched her, been in contact since. Well, she had happened, she said she wasn't paying a lot of attention to what was going on on the field when the kids were getting the award, but she heard our names introduced and she made a point of coming down or coming from wherever she was sitting to find us when we came up off the field. And she said, you know, Tom, I want to thank you for teaching me horticulture back in high school. Hmm. She was never a real super, you know, never the very outgoing, strong student and a stronger horticulture person in high school. But she went on to relay that horticulture had been a major part of her adult life ever since she got married and then and um, had settled down in the Fargo area. And that it doesn't when you think about that, it's not necessarily a pat on my back. It's just what we do sometimes, the little things we do can have major influences on somebody we don't even anticipate it happening. Yeah. And that, that that's um uh, that to me is a real striking example of how you can make the world a better place. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's a great example, and you know, so rewarding that you were able to experience that and see the fruit of your efforts through through those years as a teacher. You know, uh, if we can replace ourselves with with uh, just one person who uh, you know carries on the torch that we feel so passionate about, um, then I think we've done our job. You know, so that's. That's a, that's a great way of explaining that. And one other thing, you know, here in Morris, Minnesota, where we are now, when Morris was founded, it was a tall grass prairie out here and very few trees around any place, except maybe in the coolies or along the rivers. And you see the pictures of the town of Morris, and it was um, wood frame buildings on bare streets. Mm -hmm. Well, if you look now, we are very, very fortunate in the city of Morris have very, very nicely boulevards, nice tree-lined boulevards, tree-lined cemeteries, you know, a very, very nicely treated area for an urban setting. And it wasn't us that did this. It was the earliest settlers that started bringing the trees and planting. They may have brought a few fruit trees with them from out east or wherever they came from. But I would guess that a lot of the trees that ended up in Morris were box elders or cottonwoods that came from the rivers or the sloughs and got planted originally. Mm, and some yeah. of those 150 years ago, 200 years ago, whatever it was, and sure they're box elders and cottonwoods, but they did a tremendous job. And these early settlers, they weren't planting these trees for themselves. You know, they, you know, they were fully aware that these trees probably would not mature in their lifetimes, but they were planting it for future generations. I think yeah. if we if we can adopt that attitude, it'll go a long ways towards the future of our our, our towns, our country, our world. Wow, yep. that is is so awesome. I I we've got other places we could go, but I think I want to close on that note, Tom, because that is so powerful. I, I, what um, if you look back over the past few hundred years, we've come to the the Midwest and and. Um, uh, you know, as settlers had moved in and, and uh, you know, back then the imprint on the land was very small. But if you asked me now, do I think that um, we as humans have left the ecological state of the Midwest better um, than is it better because we are here? I would not say yes, but I would absolutely say that it definitely is not too late and it it, it can be. Now, I'm not we've done lots and lots of good things. I'm not totally ragging on everything but but just having the mindset of going throughout your day of every single place that you go to and every person that you interact with on a day-to-day -day and on a lifetime you know in, in your email you mentioned um being part of church and school systems and your different community groups so like over over a lifetime what are you leaving behind and, and are you leaving it behind better than than it was gifted to you and and that is so so amazing did 
So before we closed it, did any of you guys have any final thoughts? Well, now you know why I married him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a great guy. <laughs> yeah. In spite of being Scandinavian, huh? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, just, that's kind of been our philosophy and, and that kind of what carries us along. So yeah, um, it's been great to visit with you guys, too. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming on and, and uh, being a part of the show. And uh, thank you for your work and your passion that carries on uh, as a legacy forever. And, yeah. and uh, you know, it's great, like the story you told, when you get to hear how your influences has been picked up by others. But I'm sure there's many, many others that you'll never even hear of that have been influenced by your efforts and and uh, your willingness to share the importance of of uh, basically being involved with uh, the plant community that we are a part of and uh, doing our best to make uh, every square inch of dirt that is put into our care uh, help it be maximized to its uh, fullest potential and, and in a sustainable way. And so uh, we thank you guys very much for all the work that you've done. And, of course, uh, thank you to our listeners of this podcast. Um, please remember that we love hearing from you, so please reach out. Um, you can uh, send us an email through our website, message us on Instagram. And I think Nicholas has the new Facebook page up and going on that. Uh, there will probably be some more directions coming in that regard soon, though. But definitely uh, email or Instagram is the best way to reach out to us. Uh, with any questions or comments you may have. And, of course, if you have any seed needs of your own, uh, you can go to theprairiefarm.com or hoxynativeseeds.com, and we will uh, be happy to uh, help you out in that way. And um, also, if you wouldn't mind going on to either Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leaving us a five-star review, if you feel so inclined, that helps uh, make our podcast uh, get into the ears of more people and get these positive messages uh, shared with with uh, more folks and hopefully um, help uh, make our mark that we leave behind uh, a better one and more impactful one more far-reaching and uh, that's that's really what we want to achieve through this podcast mm. so we appreciate your help in that way yeah and uh, most importantly what do people have to remember nick the conservation happens one mind at a time.